0: This project is imagined as a series of four podcast episodes revolving around the subject of reality and its creation. It reflects on different realities that could exist in the future, our potential to have an impact on it, the virtual and the real, the magical and the scientific or pseudoscientific. The idea is to open up the subject of the prophetic potential of art, culture, writing, films, and everything we do as creators, and how this might be helpful once acknowledged and embraced. The series aims to explore the position of seeing contemporary art, not only as a reflection on the state of the world and its perception, but also as something that is able to predict the future. Of course, how literally we, or you, take this statement is up for discussion. Hello, this is another episode of Projects are Prophecies, Prophecies are Projects, which is dedicated to inventing, anticipating, and imagining the future. Our focus is on art and creation and how art can contribute in this process. Um, My name is Natalia Paunic, and today I'm talking to the uh, Danish artist Stine uh, Deja, So Stine, thank you for taking part in this podcast. Stine's practice explores the sticky in-between of real and virtual worlds with a striking arsenal of media that includes 3D animation, immersive installation, moving image, and digital surrogates. In her simulated spaces, uncanny avatars hinge between what's strange and familiar seducing us with not quite real products informed equally by the artist's simultaneous fascination and revulsion with our hyper-commercialized contemporary culture. This is something that I found on your website, Stine, so I hope this is um, the biography that you normally use.
1: Yeah, that's great. Thank you for the introduction. <laughs> yeah, and thanks for the invitation for the podcast as well it's um, it's a really exciting topic mm-hmm.
2: out of the mists of the information age this cryptic ruin has stood since the dawn of the millennium This angular structure, often referred to as a body temple, is located on the bend of the Thames and has been there for thousands of years. It is massive, distinct, and very mysterious. Atop a mound of earth stands a dilapidated concrete structure with a maze of corridors leading to a central chamber where historians believe rows of machines would have been placed. Long thought to be just a tomb, in the late 3070s, archaeologists uncovered an amazing secret that shed new light on this ancient structure. Some theorized that humans could access sites like these 24 hours a day, seven days a week, to prostrate and exercise under luminescent light, often to heavy, dramatic music. The building is an impressive feat of engineering, considering its information age builders possessed only rudimentary technologies. It is particularly significant because it's been proven without doubt that this building was very deliberately positioned to allow visitors to gather from a wide surrounding area via petrol-fueled vehicles. The facade is constructed from gray concrete, now restored by archaeologists who believe it was composed of sand dredged from rivers in the United States. The enormous quantities of concrete used for the construction was typical of the time. The builders probably moved the concrete blocks into position by rolling them on logs. Archaeologists believe it took decades to construct this temple, and since life expectancy was short, only about 76 years, The project likely was handed down from one generation to the next. Little is known about the Holocene community that created the structure. Exactly why they built it is still a mystery. Was the mound purely a place of bodily worship? Historians admit they just don't know. We know they were used as workout places, but we also think they would have been used as places for ritual gatherings. They might have been sacrificing calories to honor their ancestors. This ruin is a lasting monument to human ingenuity and to a desire as old as mankind. Even then, people strove to congregate and work together, if only for a brief moment in time.
0: So we've heard uh, the Cryptic Ruins intro, so I'd like to ask you about the work. The video is clearly simulating a History Channel-style TV show or documentary about archaeological findings. And the catch, sort of, is that it's being written from a future perspective. And it kind of reflects on the present day or um, information age, as it's said in the video. What was it about the gym that you thought was pertinent enough so as to become a central motive uh, for the work?
1: The video was a um, commission that I did for Somerset House back in 2019. And it was part of this concept called hyperfunctional and ultra healthy where you had to explore concepts of wellness. And that's kind of why I was zooming in on the fitness center. Mm -hmm. And as you were saying, um, I was really inspired by these old uh, national geographic videos that I would find on YouTube, for example. And I was really drawn to this whole, like the tone of voice and the kind of slow panning of the camera and all of this information that you would have about a kind of, distant past like sometimes you would wonder how did they get this information and it almost sounds like fiction somehow Mm -hmm. I started wondering what a kind of national geographic video of the future would look like instead of it being like an ancient tomb they were exploring something a bit more contemporary to us and this is kind of where the fitness center came into the picture because I wanted to investigate our kind of individualistic obsession we have with our bodies in the western world. Mm -hmm. What you're actually seeing in this video that you just heard the audio of is a kind of mysterious excavation site in the former center of London and the camera pans over different objects that are lying in these ruins such as a old clock sandal fitness bags and machines mm-hmm. and there's also at some point you see a um, a piece of chewing gum which is the kind of reference to a neolithic chewing gum that was discovered at the point that i was doing the video i don't know if you remember this new story but it was um they found this piece of chewing gum and that revealed that it was chewed by a danish girl with blue blue eyes and yeah and i guess like we seeing this video will easily recognize that it's a gym, but the narrator in the the video is kind of unsure of the goal of what this facility really is. And she's kind of questioning if it's a religious site or what kind of rituals they were practicing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's just a lot of speculations from a future point of view, mm-hmm. kind of reversed history somehow
0: so so is is the the site in question is it based in a real place the the gym
1: well i was just kind of imagining it being like a building near the thames Mm -hmm. in london where people would go to exercise before i also really like the parts this reference
0: that you were mentioning before the, the reference to um, maybe like some ancient cultures so I, I thought a really good one was when uh, the, the voice in the video is mentioning sacrificing calories um, to like pay respect to their ancestors I thought it was hilarious
1: I was really laughing out loud yeah I was just trying to to imagine like if you wash away all the information that we have about these spaces what would you see how would this have any purpose and then I guess like you you do wonder why do they spend so much time doing like cycling nowhere for example or running nowhere like what is the point yeah yeah. exactly are you sacrificing your calories Yeah.
0: (laughs) yeah I I think in a way I mean it really makes sense because whenever I think about the gym Um, And I don't mean to offend anyone, but basically, I always feel like all of this energy could be put somewhere else, I guess. So, yeah, I I totally know what you mean when you say that it could be confusing to um, a future species coming to Earth and, I don't know, observing the past. (laughs) But also, I wanted to add,
1: just like you said, that I don't have anything against gyms at all. I used to go to the gym myself as well. and I do recognize that it's really nice to be able to to move your body. And just for me, I, I go running a lot, for example, and it's kind of a meditation for me. So in a way, the gym is maybe also like a modern way of meditating or clearing your mm-hmm. mind.
0: Yeah, I, I, I yeah. feel like this is kind of a recurring theme, a theme in your work as well. This, um, let's say, connection between the mind and the body and how um, they can have you know they they obviously um, have a relationship but then I feel like you're exploring this relationship and then when you said that going to the gym is meditative in a sense I, uh, I immediately thought of the the other video the the 4k zen um, because I, mm-hmm. I feel like that one for me that maybe was um the most captivating video of yours even though I actually never saw the installation like with the the, the gear that accompanies it um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I, I I feel like and you know when I was watching it I I felt so relaxed and I felt really like I was really in the zone <laughs> and I kind of felt you know I knew that what what I was watching is an art piece so I always you know, have this critical um, standpoint, but on the other hand, I'm really, really enjoying it. So, um, yeah, I was just wondering, I mean, th- there's so many things that uh, Miranda, the introduction person um, <laughs> says, yeah. And yeah. then, uh, you know, like things like liberation from our minds.
3: Hi, mm-hmm. I'm Miranda. Mm-hmm. Welcome to 4 Zen. Are you feeling the anxiety of modern life and working too many hours? Do you have trouble sleeping at night? Do you feel the stress of things that are just out of your control? If the answer to any of these questions is yes, you can now exhale and relax. I'm here to introduce you to a phenomenal new product that will enable you to recharge those overworked batteries. Allowing all the cares in your world to take care of themselves and helping you to achieve inner harmony and liberation from your mind. Together with a team of experts, I've developed a product that's going to guide you into a state of deep relaxation and intense body comfort. It will and anxiety by.
0: My question would be was the intention for this video that it should be that enjoyable <laughs> is it um yeah was that the like your original intention for it to be actually like this asmr style video where you almost fall asleep while watching it
1: the four case and project or videos um, i kind of made them to be kind of a stress diet that promises an escape away from the complexity of modern life and doing that by combining the wisdom of uh, meditation and American tv shop kind of infomercials and the project is kind of stating that your ticket to relaxation and happiness is true a commercial product and the project started to develop when I was visiting Bali in 2016 Mm -hmm. and I, I read this kind of pseudo- science study that suggested that we are more relaxed when we watch tv than when we sleep and that this kind of passive active state reduces our cortisol levels and i found this study really amusing and i decided to to explore it to the fullest somehow and then i wanted to create a kind of escapist route away from like all the stress that we experience in our everyday Mm. life I was invited to do an installation at um, something called Bruskilde Festival which is this big and very loud festival in many ways and therefore I wanted to make it a, a huge contrast to this and um, create a whole environment that was completely calm and tranquil. So I, I created this whole installation with uh, yeah, everything was white and I had fluffy carpets and I had these robotic hoovers uh, that I kind of, I was seeing them as kind of hoovers that were hoovering away all your worries. And there was like uh, aroma diffusers and yoga mats and instructors and so on. And then the most important part of the piece in the installation is this 4K Zen hat, which um, I saw on a TV shop. And it's basically a gigantic cap, so that kind of covers your outlook into the world. So you're just there with your with your little screen, and then there's this magnifying lens, and then it feels a bit like you're in a you're in a your little home cinema, just for like your own home mm-hmm. home cinema somehow. When I was first doing this installation, it was kind of like a baptism of fire almost because I was running 30 of these stations, like 30 of the yoga mats. And then I had the, all the visitors were like semi-drunk <laughs> and they were all extremely dirty. And then I made them watch the introduction video. And then afterwards, they were invited to put on the cap and go through part two. It was actually so relaxing that I figured out that most of the people <laughs> fell asleep. So yeah, I mean... Uh, it wasn't intended for for people to necessarily feel that relaxed but I, I was happy with the outcome as well that people were really just uh, letting go and enjoying what yeah, I created
0: yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm really I really wish I, I, I'd have been there <laughs>
1: yeah well I've done it in a few times as well because you know you learn from every time you, you make an installation, so the next time I I set it up in New York in mm-hmm. Chinatown at a little gallery in that space, I only had two stations, which actually functioned a lot better because it was um it was a lot of work helping thirty people all the time to to get the experience. Mm-hmm. But I think it it worked best as just like a really small installation.
0: I think that's yeah. also really. Um, interesting in relation to some of your other works like for example the thermal womb installation that uh, you made at the Anka Kultis gallery um, I, I feel mm-hmm. like that's yeah. probably the pinnacle of, uh, of that line of thinking like this connection or disconnection between the body and the mind so yeah. I, I remember this was actually the the last show of yours that I saw um, right before the pandemic yeah. started, actually, um, yeah, probably yeah. um, that was that was one of my last travels. I think, <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, I did travel a little bit after that, but it was one of the one of the last yeah. shows I sh- I saw internationally. So it really kind of stuck with me. And uh, I mean, aside from <laughs> it re- being really captivating as a show, um, so I I'm just gonna read. It part of the press release if you don't mind and then I'm gonna um maybe oh. just some ask some questions and talk to you about it a little bit so the yeah. the, the show was on view in February and March right? Oh, yeah 28th of February to
1: 28th of March 2020 yeah it was open for for three weeks and then we had to close it down because of the lockdown and everything so the show was actually standing for a long time without visitors but mm-hmm. it was still that's open. very yeah
0: yeah now it's, all- <laughs> it's kind of appropriate that it was kind of preserved um <laughs> the show itself <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah. <laughs> i'm just reading from the press release following extensive yeah. research on crab preservation methods crab preservation is the process of cooling and storing cells tissues or organs at very low temperatures to maintain their ongoing viability Deja has produced Thermal Womb, her latest series of sculptures derived from that research, the first works of which are on exhibition in the show. The series presents a simulacrum of how one of the largest companies operating in the cryopreservation field, the Alcor Life Extension Foundation, based in Arizona, USA, stores the bodies of people who have elected to be cryogenically preserved. Alcor stores its bodies upside down in thermal sleeping bags uh, immersed into metal doors, specialist double-walled vacuum insulated storage spaces used to hold liquids while beneath ambient temperatures, which are filled with liquid nitrogen at minus 196 degrees Celsius. The bodies are stored upside down to keep the heads chilled for as long as possible in the unfortunate event, an emergency occurs and the cooling system breaks down. I mean, this really gave me chills. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, so, and <laughs> then in the next part of the press release, it says, Oh, yeah, these are the questions that I really liked. So, is Alcor selling its members the false hope of a future resurrection that will never occur in the same way snake hole salesmen duped the hopeless when america's west was truly wild should only the elites or at least those able to afford two hundred thousand dollars when they die have access to the possibility of future resurrection if the technology does evolve quickly and science enables humans to live forever in the very near term uh, say 50 100 or 200 years from now does it not seem desperately unlucky to be one of the l- last generations to be merely mortal? Should humanity accept its ongoing mortality or optimistically hope for immortality in a new, possibly transhuman future? And what will be the unforeseen consequences of human populations not dying as they always have and the oh, I don't know how to pronounce this word, concomitant <laughs> population explosion that would result from successful cryopreservation technology, particularly in the context of the planet's global warming. I really feel like, I mean, of course, this is a quite a long text, actually. There's four pages here. And it also mentions how some of these chambers actually store not, not the entire bodies of people, but actually their heads, right? Uh, or
1: Yeah, that's called um, neuro-preservation. Mm-hmm. So that's where you store the brain, but actually it's more than the brain because to remove the brain, it's too risky. So they mm-hmm. they take the whole head. So they don't remove the brain from the head. So the, the whole head is cryopreserved, which also poses some... Ethical dilemmas for example I read that there was a family that was really upset because the dad had decided to go through with um, neuro preservation but then they didn't know what to do with the rest of the body so so the company I don't know if it was alcohol but just some company sent the body the rest of the body back to the family oh then without it. so yeah there's just there's a lot of um, complex things around this that we're not Yes, I, I like just it.
0: wanted, to, I actually wanted to say that when I was reading this and um, being at the gallery, I, I wasn't really sure if the text that I'm reading is um, based on true facts or if the entire story is fiction. And then I, I saw the books um, and I was really perplexed. I, I, I didn't know how to react or how to feel because I, I wasn't aware of cryopreservation at all. So I was really Mm. confused that this actually exists, you know, like this is actually happening (laughs) in the world.
1: Yeah, it's getting more and more popular. And I think there's like three big companies worldwide and one of them is based in Russia and then the rest is kind of America. I think maybe there's something in China too, I'm not really sure, but you can get different styles of treatment. The treatment that you can get in Russia is a lot cheaper, but it's also much more low fi So, for example, you would get into one of these big metal divas, the, the big cylinder structure where they put the bodies, but you will be with other frozen people or perhaps animals as well, because uh, people also freeze animals, like their pets. I saw that there was like a frozen bird of some sort and some people freeze their cats and their dogs. And yeah, it's not just for mm-hmm. for yeah. humans. The
0: ethical dilemma gets even more
1: complicated. And actually in in my new show, which is called Cold Sleep, I asked some more questions about this because, for example, when it comes to the beginning of life, we do freeze embryos, for example, with uh, IVF treatment and like, these kind of treatments, you can get your eggs removed and frozen and then used later on. Yeah, and I was just questioning how these are two methods that can't really be compared, but we do the same. We cry-preserve human eggs, for example, to fertilize them and mm-hmm. uh, put them back in the body. And we have babies in this kind of way uh, and we've had it for, for many years and and we don't really think about it. Um, but when it comes to the end of life people are a lot more mm. skeptical and I'm not saying that anything is right or wrong or anything like that I'm just looking at it with like it's it's interesting how we feel very differently about the beginning yeah. and the death yeah, yeah. The I, I totally understand that
0: yeah. I mean I I wasn't really um, associating the two but I see what you mean and also this uh, mm. this final question from the the piece of text that i was reading to me this was this is a very important question actually the so the consequences of overpopulating the planet in the context of the you know the the entire planet and not just humans but actually all other species but also humans and and our future Mm. so i think this idea of immortality is so like very complex and like on so many different levels. And just one of them is whether this is possible or not and whether we are the, I don't know, like the last unlucky uh, generation not to be immortal. But also there, there are those other questions that, that are being brought mm-hmm. up here, like the, the effect on the rest of the world, basically.
1: I mean, we've wanted, uh, or we've been looking for, for the kind of cure for uh, mortality throughout history for example the first novel ever written the epic of Gilgamesh is about seeking immortality and yeah we've just seen it all throughout history how we are trying to find a cure for the for the condition of life that we have uh, yeah and this is actually
0: what kind of brings me back to the first work that we were mentioning because I feel like you know this is something that Humanity has been going through since the beginning of time, basically. And uh, I'm not sure if, if this was mentioned in the press release for Thermal Womb as well or not, but um, also like how the Egyptians used to think about mortality or immortality and preserving bodies, etc. I think that's quite interesting to think about how these are actually, they're, they're kind of futuristic, the, the topics themselves, but they're also. Referring to something very ancient.
1: Actually, in the sculptures that I made in the opening of the sleeping bag, there's these animated faces and they're kind of referencing the the mummification process of uh, ancient Egypt, where the Egyptians, they would paint these masks so the dead person could then recognize its own soul uh, mm-hmm. in the afterlife. So, yeah, I'm kind of playing around with some different references. Uh, mm.
0: I really was, as I told you, I was really, really in shock when I was uh, like watching all of that, especially since I think I I came to the gallery right before the installation was turned on. So I was kind of watching Anka uh, set up the the iPads and I didn't know that the the faces were going to show up. (laughs) So yeah, so the whole thing was like really shocking (laughs) to me, even though I was well aware uh, that were sculptures but it, it really gave me an uncanny feeling when I was there I guess um, one of the reasons we're, we're talking today is just this thinking about the future and um, sort of even thinking from the future perspective I would say and it kind of come, comes up a lot in your work so I wanted to ask you do, how do you feel about this Uh, aspect of having impact on the future while thinking about it or designing it in a way, even if uh, this designing actually means uh, telling it through a story or an art piece or a sculpture and not actually building uh, technology for the future. So do you feel like uh, artists as creators do have some sort of impact on making the future?
1: I think we all do I think everyone every human has an impact on the future and doesn't matter if you're an artist or whatever you do we we all have a a chance to to impact the future I think about the future as something that's in constant motion and it's something that I'm part of and I'm contributing to yeah I think it's something we're all connected to through this kind of condition of life that we're all mm-hmm. facing towards the future. And something that I keep returning to a lot is how all tangible objects around us um, used to belong to someone's fantasy or imagination. So for example, um, the phone that I'm recording this on or the chair that I'm sitting on, I, I find it really fascinating thinking that before this came into existence, it belonged in someone's head. Jung calls this the world within and he's basically saying how the future starts in the world within and how the greatest achievement of the human brain is that we are able to imagine things and objects that don't exist and I think it's just something that's really nice to to think about because it reminds me that I am capable of of shaping Mm. the, the world somehow and it's funny because When i was thinking about this as well i realized that on a micro level i guess this way of thinking is a huge part of my creative process in like in my daily life and probably also all other artists um, where you plan something you start thinking about something researching and then this whole world kind of grows inside of you and then you go through 3d visualization or mock-ups and then at some point you arrive at that space that only used to live inside of you and then you're standing in in that room that once no one else could see i think Mm -hmm. that's a really i i I feel like uh
0: what you're now describing is something that also probably describes a creative process for for many artists um and and I, I think this is yeah, um, definitely. very interesting. And it's actually one of the reasons why I'm, I'm uh, picking, picking up this subject, because I feel like when you just take it out of context and say, you know, I'm thinking about something and having this idea and then it materializes, it almost sounds like something magical, you know, like, like, like something mm-hmm. that's actually fortune telling in a way. Um, are, are you more interested in science or pseudoscience when it comes to these thoughts about the future and uh, you know just like meditating on
1: what the future could be for me as an artist and just as a human in general I, I just exist on asking questions and going a step further with what if this was true or, or, or what if we could actually watch TV instead of sleeping and I don't specifically look for scientific answers because I think some things Mm -hmm. aren't necessarily testable, like a a whole field of psychology, uh, for example, because to prove a theory that that to be scientific, you have to go through this whole falsification principle. And yeah, maybe some things just aren't testable and whether it's science or pseudoscience, uh, doesn't make it less interesting for me or relevant for me like the whole field of cryonics Mm. is definitely considered pseudoscience and I spent two years uh, researching about that. It, It can be a very dangerous topic as well the whole pseudoscience when it comes to spreading misinformation about various things. I think something that I remind myself of a lot is that Thinking about the future is like step one in, in future building. Like mm-hmm. You have to first think about it before it will happen.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, I guess one of the last <laughs> <That's> things <all. laughs> I wanted to ask you uh, about was this connection between uh, human and post-human or, or trans-human. As I see, uh, you, I, I saw that this word is being used in your texts Quite a lot, uh, transhuman. Um, so so, what do these hmm. words uh, mean yeah. to you? What, is it, what does it mean to be human and to be transhuman?
1: Well, these uh, are <laughs> very big questions, but <laughs> something that I'm also continuously trying to explore. And I ask myself many questions, for example, what does it mean to be human is it because we have biological bodies is it because we remember um do we have a free will is it because we're conscious and in what ways are we human now and what is our purpose exactly and yeah I think like growing up and as a teenager I would think so much about these things and it would drive me completely nuts and depressed as well but then I think as you grow older you you kind of realize that there's a million answers to these questions and any of them are as good as Mm -hmm. as the other, um, if it makes sense to you. As you said, it's something I I question a lot in my work and, for example, in the whole work about cryonics. Do we have to die and what will happen if we're not steered by this fear of death? And how will this completely redefine our species and, and what it means to be human? And for this whole transhuman movement, they basically, as I see it, they have the goal of human enhancement through science and technology. And what really interests me about the transhumanism is that they think that we used to be human, but we're not post-human yet. To be post-human, we need like a radical change in embodiment. So for them, right now, we are in a transhuman area because we are embracing uh, technology and the the notion of of human enhancement, mm-hmm. I just find all of this really fascinating, and I think it's also because when you think about this question, that should be so simple to answer, because <laughs> we are humans, aren't we? In a way, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it is so
1: difficult to answer these questions. The simplest yeah. questions yeah, yeah. are Maybe so complex. Totally right. But yeah, this it's difficult to grasp somehow because being post-human, it's like an umbrella term for so many different ways of thinking about posthuman, uh, like there's the post and the transhumanism and yeah yeah
0: I guess there's also really this component of you know like distancing yourself from being human could also imply that you're giving up some sort of responsibility or you know like I, I feel that when you say human it also means to Take responsibility for the things that you are doing as a conscious being and I think that maybe you know and this is why the word human can mean so many different things and in the end yeah especially in this uh, context of the like the really uh, you know so you have advancement of technology on the one hand and then you have let's say capitalism which kind of controls it um with, as you also as uh, said or as it's said in the exhibition text for uh, the thermal womb like so there is always someone controlling this technology and um for for those reasons we're actually probably more still more human and
1: transhuman than
0: than post-human
1: yeah yeah it's like technology is really creeping in on us and in our our everyday lives and it's just a little at the time but then if you look back in the past 10 years you realize how much we've actually changed in in the way that we use technology to function
0: Uh, i mean i guess i i was mentioning it because of this distinction between what it means to be human or what it means to be non-human or like what it means to be a machine And uh, this sense of responsibility is the key thing to, to being human. Three,
3: remember how the world looked from a position of serenity. Two, take a deep breath in and release. One, turn off the screen whenever you're ready.